Good morning. We've been uh, showing that video over and over. We don't want to forget what the book of Galatians is about. It's really got this theme, and it comes out clearly in, in the verses today that uh, we, if you met Jesus, we're free. We've been set free by, by the living God. Uh, this particular passage in Galatians chapter 4, Paul really acts like a pastor. If you've been with us a bunch, he hasn't acted a whole lot like a pastor. Like It's a little bit more like he got off the wood spoon for the uh, Galatians. I don't know if y'all use, y'all use the wood spoon at your house. We use the wood spoon at my house a little bit. You can ask the Reeves children for evidence of such. I did hit my thumb one time with the wood spoon, pulling back a diaper one time. It, it hurts. I, I'm, I'm confident of that. But Paul writes this book like he's in their business a little bit. He's trying to get their attention with some discipline. But when he gets to chapter 4, he really becomes more pastoral. He'll use phrases like, my brothers and sisters. He'll say, like, my children. You can feel this affection coming from him in the Galatians, in, in this book of Galatians. So uh, it should be, should be cool to walk through. The first time I was ever called a pastor, I was 27, and it, it kind of shocked me. I'm like, what, what in the world is going on? I had gone to plant the church I uh, had grown up, like, trying to be like my dad. My dad was a chemical engineer, so I went to Clemson, studied chemical engineering, which I hated. And uh, so, so then I, I changed schools and, and ended up with a degree in Bible, still never really thinking I would ever be called a pastor. I became a basketball coach. I coached basketball in college, really liked that, and then really felt like the Lord wanted me to do this. And I went and planted a church in Clemson. And one of the students and I went out to eat one time, and he looked at somebody else in the restaurant, and he goes, hey, this is John Reeves. He's my pastor. I'm like, where, where, what did he just say? What, is, what does that even mean? Like, I, I, I'm not your pastor. I'm 27 years old. I can't be your pastor. What in the world does that mean? And by the way, like, I always thought of pastors like in the movies and people I met, like, they were nice. I'm, I'm not really that nice. Like, I, I don't feel like I fit the mold of what this is. And when I see, read the Bible, it lists these gifts in the Bible. And I'm not sure I have the pastor gift, right? Like in Ephesians chapter 4, it says apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. When Russell gets up here, what do you think? He's a teacher, right? When Billy Graham gets up there, what do you say? Evangelist. Uh, Todd Carnes used to leave this church prophet, right? The prophets are sad, and sometimes they're mad because they're trying to push the church, right? Like, that's, that's, who, that's who they are. And, and I, if I'm anything, I'm that first one, and I want to make that A as small as possible. I, I like to start stuff. I sure enough am not a pastor. But he called me that, and then I chastised him for it later. Like, don't call me pastor, dude. That's embarrassing. So really, the first church I planted, I instructed our whole little group of 50 to 75 folks, like, never call me a pastor, right? That's not what I am. I'm not a pastor. And so the next time I went out with a kid, and he's introducing me to somebody, he goes, hey, this is John Reeves. He's, a, he's, a, he's my pastor-like guy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this ain't working. I'm going to have to embrace this thing or not. I'm going to I'm have to figure this thing out. Well, when you hear pastor, what, what really the scripture kind of implies is a shepherd. It's a shepherd. And the more I heard that terminology, the more comfortable I got with it because a shepherd doesn't just look one way. He's not always sweet all the time. Sometimes he's pretty direct and he's got to do what's best for the sheep. And uh, so I began to like embrace that a bit. 28 years later, standing up here as, quote, a pastor, I get it a little bit more, like I have some responsibility, right? So there's that responsibility weighs. Some of you guys in the room have jobs where you have that kind of responsibility and it weighs. Um, in other ways, I've, because of this title, I have some authority. 
you shouldn't give me that authority unless I'm teaching from the Bible. You shouldn't just give it to me because of that title, but nonetheless, it has an authority with it. That responsibility and that authority are supposed to be demonstrated in love. That's what a pastor, a shepherd, is supposed to do. I give you just a little understanding of my world. This morning, walking in the door, um, I, I had two different interactions. One lady was trembling. Her hands were shaking, and she grabbed mine. And uh, uh, she was praying for another lady, usually sits right over here, first service, named Gina, whose son is in the hospital uh, in his 20s battling for his life. And so as a shepherd, you can feel that, right? You feel, you feel that pain. On the other side of the room, there was a young lady that, I walked, that walked in, and I shook her hand. She was pregnant, and I'd heard about the shower that had been thrown for her, and I asked her how the shower was, and it was great. And, you know, like, I never want to be invited to a shower, by the way, so, like, I, I, like, I got other things to do, but nonetheless, like, these showers, evidently, they're great, right? So they, they had this blast, and they felt it. there was this, this togetherness about the ladies that was there. Like, so you had on one side of the room, you have a son battling for his life, a pretty, pretty tough story along with it. And then on the other side of the room, you've got this expectation of a new child, and and when, you, when you're a shepherd, quote, you kind of participate in all that. But you participate as someone who represents God. I, I want to pray to God. I want you to pray with me. We're going to pray for, for Gina, who's at the hospital right now. We'll celebrate with some of the other folks right now in the room that are looking forward to something great. Jesus, we, uh, we come to you humbly because not much we can do about this young man at the hospital. We want him to live, Lord. So we pray that you would rescue him. Jesus, you were the great healer. You walked the earth and you just touched somebody and they were, it was done. They were better. That's what we want. I don't know what you want, but that's what we want. We pray for Gina that you would give her peace. Thank you for her little group of friends and her group that love her and are with her both physically and also in their prayer lives. It's beautiful to watch in such a hard time. We are thankful, Lord, for all the good stuff we get to celebrate around here. It was, it was fun to hear about this shower just for a couple minutes and know of a variety of other situations like that where we as a body, as your body, Christ, get to celebrate with one another as kids come into our lives, even, even as we celebrate the successes of uh, folks in our families, and just enjoy it with the whole, with, with the whole body. It's just good, Lord. <laughs> Even after those babies are born, Lord, it's good to have somebody to go on some play dates with and be able to share the difficult and the good times all in one. We thank you for what you've done by pulling us together as one group because of your work, Jesus. We celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm reading this passage, and I'm thinking about it being really pastoral. I'm kind of trying to evaluate what I am, and it just struck me that it's what you are. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you may not supposed to do this. You may never stand up here with this little mic on your head and talk from the Bible, but you are a pastor in your radius, whether you like it or not. So by design, and I, it's clear in the Scriptures, is that not, it's not just me that's responsible. Like once God saves you, if you've believed in Jesus and he trusts you with the Holy Spirit, you're responsible for your radius. 
I got some responsibility in this room that's maybe a little different than you, yours, but mine's no different than yours in your neighborhood. Like those people in your neighborhood are your responsibility and you have authority because Christ saved you and gave you the Holy Spirit. And you're supposed to demonstrate those two things through love. You're supposed to stand out in the neighborhood. So as we read this passage and watch Paul interact with some people that he loves, he's going to call them brothers and sisters. He's going to call them dear children. You can think about your responsibility in your family, in your small group, a little group of believers that hang out, your responsibility in your very neighborhood. And you can ask this hard question, do I have affection for these people? Am I willing to get past some stuff so that I can love the folks in my radius? Here it is. Uh, this is Galatians chapter 4. By the way, if you're new and don't really know how the Bible works, relax. We're really glad you're here. Galatians is a letter written from a guy named Paul to uh, a little church in a region called Galatia. It was probably shared between multiple churches in that region. He writes them this letter. It's personal. He's been a little frustrated with them. The first three chapters are getting chapter four, and he's, he's, starting to, he's trying to appeal to them in another way because he wants to keep them from driving their lives into the ditch. And so in this passage, you'll feel him. You'll feel some of his passion to protect them from where they're heading. Verse 12, dear brothers and sisters, my siblings, I love you. I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So he writes to this little group of church that there'd be some Jewish folks in the crowd and the rest. If you don't know how this works, the Bible talks about the Jewish folks and everybody else is the Gentiles. So the majority of us in the room are Gentiles. And they would have just been local to the area or moved there from somewhere else. And, and so a few of them have believed in Jesus, and they're starting to gather. And Paul says, again, you feel his passion. I plead with you. There's a variety of English translations, and uh, I, I'm reading from the New Living, the NIV, which is called the New International, which is probably the most popular translation. It reads like this. Become like me, for I become like you. That's kind of crazy. What kind of game do you have to have to tell somebody to become like you? Like, like walk up to your neighbor and say, become like me. Hey, hey y'all need to do it like I do it. You, gotta have some, you better have some game you're going to tell somebody to become like you. But, but the second statement is particularly interesting because this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He says, I became like you. What's he mean? Uh, my birthday came about not too long ago. None of y'all told me had birthday. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, uh, my mama sends me a check, which is kind of funny the older you get, right? Like with your mother sending you a check and you're 55 years old. Like, why, why is she sending me money? But anyway, she sends me $75. I don't know why it's not 100 or not 50 It's 75 <laughs> So she sent me a $75 check, and you kind of want to cash it. You kind of don't. And uh, so I generally try to do something that I enjoy so I can tell her about it. So this is what I like to do. Cyril laughs at me because he'd rather buy something. I like to take my $75, get in the car, and drive to the beach. There's a restaurant in Folly Beach called the Crab Shack. Anybody know? It's got a little blue awning on the front. It is like it's one of the dirtiest restaurants you'll ever walk in, right? I don't know what the, the, the but it's really good. And uh, I, I go sit on the beach for about four hours, take my, I'm a little nerdy. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to read my book on the beach for a little bit, and then I'm going to come back, even though it was freezing when I went down there, and then I'm going to come back to the Crab Shack, and sit outside. They got, they got the tables with the hole in them. You know it's a good restaurant when they got a hole in the middle of the table, right? Like with a bucket in it. And then I order Frogmore stew. Anybody, anybody had that? It is, 
If you if you if from the north, bro, you got to get into like some low country boy. It's got like seven names at this restaurant. It's called Frogmore Stew. I have no idea. It's got it's got uh, corn on the cob, potatoes, uh, lots of shrimp and sausage. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? And then this, they bring you this tub of butter that's melted. <laughs> you can't. I mean, you just dip everything in butter. How's it gonna taste bad? Like like. And so I'm I'm working through that thing. It's my one of my favorite things to do. What Paul's saying. When he says, I become like you, he's a Jew. He's on the Daniel diet all the time, right? Like, like he can't eat nothing but vegetables and, 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 and uh, just a few things like, and some lamb. Like, that's all he can eat. But he said, I came to live with the Gentiles. When you drive down to the crab shack, I'm going to get in the car with you. I'm going to drive down there, and I'm going to enjoy that shrimp, and I'm going to come back in some kind of coma that I drive home back in. I'm going to ride back. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to come like you. It's this really interesting thing where you got this, I mean, as godly as you can imagine of a man moves into a new culture and he becomes like the culture in order to connect with the culture without ever crossing a line. How does that work? He says, I became like you. I, I like, I see, it's Carolina shirt on, I like it. Like, man, represents after loss. That's a real Gamecock fan, I like that. <laughs> I was thinking when I got to this pastoral passage, this is a good day for me to be pastoral, right? Like, there's like a lot of people in pain in the room, but this man represents. That's the way it's supposed to work. I mean, I like to wear a Clemson shirt after a loss, too. I just don't get to do it often. Anyway, no, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Sorry, man. I guess I got you right there on the front row. Uh, man, in our culture, my, one of my siblings, we were talking about the other day, and I've actually become a little bit of a Carolina fan. Forgive me, Clemson fans. Like, there's this... Like I, we live here. This is our people. I like to cheer for the Gamecocks. It's kind of like it's an interesting emotional deal that goes on in my heart. And, and my baby sister's like, what are you doing? You pulling for the game? You can't pull for the Gamecocks. That's like against everything we're about. I'm like, it's not everything we're about. Like, it seems kind of trivial on the big scale. You know my sister. You know exactly which sister I'm talking about. She's like, you can't do that. You got to choose. I'm like, not, not really. Like, it doesn't seem that important. Like, there's these things. Like, when you move into the culture, you adapt to the culture. And, like, in our culture, having a little fun with college football absolutely fits. And we can poke a little fun. And we can cheer for one another or, or hate one another. That all works out. But if you're going to live in South Carolina, you need to figure this thing out, right? This is who we are. So if you were the Apostle Paul and you came to South Carolina, you're going to eat some low country boil, and you, you're going to figure out which one of these teams you like. And you're probably going to talk a little smack a little bit. You're going to fit into the town. This doesn't mean that I sit in the garage with my neighbors and get a little tipsy, right? Like, like we've got these new things where, hey, I'm trying to fit into the culture. I don't think, you see Pastor Paul doing I'm not sure that's exactly what he was doing. But he did become like them because he loved them and he wanted to get to know them. And he had this freedom from the law so he could operate in the community so they could meet who he knew. And guess, guess what he says at the beginning? You want to go back to it just for a minute. Become like me. I became like you. What's he mean? NLT does a really good job handling this in this passage. I, I, I love the way they, they write it out. I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. So he's saying, be like me in my freedom. They can remember when Paul came through their town, and they can remember what he was like. He was different. And he's saying, hey, you, you remember who I was. Yeah, I, I ate shrimp with you, but you remember who I was, who I really was, that I had this freedom about me that you were attracted to and you wanted some of that freedom? Is that true about us? Is that what they say about Radius? 
more importantly, is that what they say about your house in the neighborhood? When they think about your house, the people that you know and love, they're thinking, man, we, it'd be interesting to be like them. There's a freedom about them. There's something more about them that we don't know. And, and what we know inside, right here, all of us together, right, like that the Holy Spirit came in us and he changed us. He transformed us. And so we make decisions different. We love different because of that work inside. No, we're still real, right? You ever had that argument in the, in the yard, husband and wives? Well, baby, it's just us. And then nobody even, like, went okay. Like, like she's laughing about it. Like, you're arguing in the yard, and they're like, I wonder if the neighbors are listening. Like, this is, this is, so we don't do this thing perfectly, right? Like, I, I always tell Cheryl, you can stop arguing. And like, if you don't want them to hear, then stop yelling at me. Like, let's, let's get this thing right. This couldn't be me, right, baby? But, like, there's this, we're real in the neighborhood, but there still ought to be this, this truth, this life about us because of what God's done us. And Paul's like, be like me in my freedom. Because Jesus has paid my debt, I have no debt hanging over me, so I can walk the earth different than everybody else. It's a really cool start to, the, to this very pastoral passage. I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I become like you Gentiles, free from the laws. And then check it out. You did not mistreat me when I preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, You did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me though I, as if I were an angel from God or even Jesus Christ himself. Where is that joyful, grateful spirit you felt then? What a great question. You see the story. Paul comes to this area. Evidently, he's ill one way or another. Folks have a variety of theories of what kind of ill he was. They, uh, they, if you want to read some guys, they'll give you all their different ideas. One of the primary ideas is they had some kind of eye condition, and perhaps that the eye condition actually made his eyes look nasty. So if somebody came to your house and their eyes were oozing, what would you do? <laughs> Yo, you sit over there, right, like, and I'll sit over here. Like, what they did was they embraced it, and, and in, a matter, in, in a minute, he's going to say, you would have taken one of your eyes out and given it to me if you would. He, he's reminding them of how deep their relationship was, that they saw this light in him, the Holy Spirit. He explained the good news about Jesus to them, but they cared for him, that they have this deep relationship. There's all this joy between them when they hang at, hung out. And so he ends the little section of verses with, where is that joyful, grateful spirit you felt, Dan? I thought that was a great question. Good question for you to ask. Like, for those of y'all that know Jesus... And uh, you've hung out with some other folks that know Jesus. And in the midst of that time, there's some joy and some, like, maybe some worship. And, and that word grateful is good because then it reminds us of our position for, bet- between us and God, of how much he's given us. And so when you sit with other people who know Jesus, you kind of have this grateful attitude when you're together. When was the last time you had that? And if you haven't had it in a while, why not? Or if you have a friend that you used to have that with and you don't have it anymore, maybe they've kind of taken a right turn. And maybe you should go talk to them or maybe you should go try to have that time again. My best friend from college, we we get together every three years-ish. And uh, it's crazy how quick we can get back to that. Just being around one another, there's joy 
There's this freedom around him. There's a grateful spirit. It's just good because he's walking with God. I've been walking with God. And so when we get back together, it's good. You got that? If you've never had it, man, this is one of the best things that you get on this planet by following Jesus. Is is relationships that bring joy and create this grateful spirit within us. Hey, we live in a world full of bad news. It used to be, and some of us older people in the room wish we could go back to it, you had to wait for the newspaper in the morning to come to your house or go buy it to find out what the bad news is. Now, now you pull it out of your pocket, and it'll tell you the bad news. Some of it ain't even true, but it's just bad news. Like, bad news makes money. So you can go left, or you can go right, you can read it online politically, you can pick up social media, and you can hear how bad everything in Lexington is right now. You can find bad news every, everywhere, right? Because people just sometimes just making stuff up, and that stuff just kind of drains your inside. So we're supposed to be a group of people that when we get together, because of this relationship with God, because we know we have something we didn't earn, that we're grateful. So when we're together, it creates joy and it makes us set apart. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that they will know that we're his followers by what? By our love for one another. Verse 16. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? I can imagine the reader of this, so if you know how this works, Paul wrote this in Greek, had it delivered, they didn't have a postal service, had it delivered to the churches in Galatia, and somebody stood up front, somebody who could read, only 5% of the world could read, so somebody at the church who could read, read the Greek language, and he gets to this point, or she gets to this point, most likely he in, in, in that culture, have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth, and you can feel him like have to pause because he's reading it out loud like, ugh, what are we going to do with that? It's a great line and should make all of us think. This great friend, this good shepherd of the Galatians named Paul, just telling the truth. He's doing it because he loves them and has created this tension between them. Has the truth ever, somebody telling you the truth ever made them feel like your enemy? Any of y'all married? Like, like, at my house, I hear the truth fairly regularly, and uh, sometimes Cheryl tell me the truth, and then I want to tell her the truth. Anybody else do that? Like, I got, I got this list of truths in my pocket, and she'll tell me the truth. I'll be like, look, well, I got a couple. Let's share truths then. Let's have a little truth conversation. Right? Not, not the exactly right way to do it. And then sometimes we'll do it in the right tone, and it actually feels like when she's giving me the truth, and it's, she's doing it in the right tone, and I'm receiving it with the right attitude, it actually seems like she's promoting my health, our family's health, and our future. It's really good. And, and sometimes when I'm insecure and she says it, I want to come out with something because I want to I defend myself. I don't want to hear it because I, I, I'm insecure. I'm trying to figure out who I am. And, and what Paul's saying is, hey, Oh, I've been telling you the truth. I'm, I'm tr- I love you, brothers and sisters, my children here in just a few minutes. I'm trying to save you from where you're driving your life. You had so much joy and gratefulness. We enjoy being together so much good, and now you're all, you're all consumed with these detailed arguments. Seems like you're losing all that goodness. Man, at Radius through the years, one of the things that's been really good here is that we've attempted from the front right here to tell the truth, but it's often been told in face-to-face interactions all over the place. And so we've helped each other 
by telling one another the truth and protecting each other from driving our, driving our cars in the ditch. I had, I had a really good conversation with a 25-year-old young man uh, two weeks ago. It was one of those moments where I, I was in the truth-telling position, and I told him the truth. You ever had, had the truth told to you, and you're like, you can't think fast enough to have a response? And like, you're just kind of stunned. And he, he, sat, he sat a little stunned, very respectful. I mean, I'm an old guy now, right? Like, you got to say yes, sir, and stuff. So like, he very respectful. And then a couple weeks later, he met me in this lobby, and he said, man, thank you for telling me. That, it don't always end that way. He thanked me for telling him the truth, and then he shared with me what happened after our breakfast. He said, uh, hey, I worshiped all the way home. So, you know, when somebody tells you the truth, it demonstrates their love for you. And truth is not always what you're doing wrong, by the way. The truth sometimes is affirmation. As a matter of fact, if you want to make a disciple, you've got to be great at encouraging folks. The majority of your conversation ought to be encouragement. But on occasion, because you love them, you tell them a truth about something in their life that's a little off. And he said, man, something, and he explained what was a little off. And he, he searched his own soul. I didn't. And he worshiped God. And that's what we're doing here together. And it was, it was beautiful. Let me, let me help you with this. If you've got some friends and they love Jesus and they love you, give them permission to speak in. Because most of us hesitate a little bit. It's just natural. Like, ask them to tell you the last, use this phrase, the last 10%. Because most of us, when we got something on our mind, especially if you're from the South, we know how to hem and haul and work all the way around the building and try to come in the back door, never come in the front door. Some of y'all Midwesterners are really front. Just tell me what you mean. Like, just say it, right? Like, like y'all shoot a little straighter in the Midwest. We could use some, we should learn from that. But nonetheless, like, say the last 10%. Get to it. What are you concerned about? Hey, we should be a patient people. That's actually a fruit of the Spirit. That's something that the Holy Spirit does inside of us. And if you're new here, we, we want to be patient. We want to walk with you. But when we establish a friendship and then a relationship that's based on God, part of our responsibility is to protect one another. So if you see somebody uh, about to wreck their life, you're just going to let them. You're just going to let them. These days with social media, people just post their crap online, right? Like, so you could go, oh, she's about to get in trouble. Look at that picture. Let, let, me, let me go talk to her, right? Like, or, or you, you, you have the, it's not that hard to find out, but let me, let me go rescue them from the situation. Um, there's a passage in Matthew. I don't have time to really read it. Um, Jesus anticipating these days ahead. He's got his disciples, and he's coaching them on how things will be and how desperate it might be at times to tell the truth. So he actually, like he instructs them on how you're supposed to go to a fellow brother in Christ or sister in Christ and tell them the truth. For one, you're supposed to do it in love. For two, you're supposed to do it alone. You're not supposed to talk to a bunch of people and go, hey, I got to go talk to her. So the 12 of y'all, how about y'all pray for me because this is what she's doing. Right? That's, that's what we call gossip. Instead, he's like, you go alone and handle it, and if you handle it and it, and it sorts out, then, then praise the Lord, all, all is good. And then it actually escalates in the passage. He'll say if, if she or he does not respond to that truth, then uh, get somebody else who absolutely loves her, that knows her or him, and you guys go together. Does that feel kind of intense to you? 
feels intense to me. That's how intense it is. People that really love each other will go to the mat for each other. We got wonderful stories of those things working. We got some sad ones where they didn't. That passage encourages us. Jesus teaching in real time in Matthew. It's in the red letters in Matthew where he's telling the guys how to do it. Hey, go rescue one another. This is what we're going to do for a lifetime. I've needed it. I've needed people to come talk to me personally. And it's awkward for them. So if you're feeling good when they come to you, just go, go ahead and tell me, man. Be like a Midwestern guy. Like, come on, man. Give it to me. Let's talk about it. We're going to work, we'll work it out. Sometimes uh, I think we think this walk with Jesus is boring. It's often referred to that by our, our teenage folks. And I think perhaps it's because we just don't deal in truth. It's really boring when we just agree with each other all the time. The truth is what makes it exciting when people are pressing us. They're in the weight room pressing us with the truth. Now, you can, you can do more, or you're cheating that push-up. I cheat all my push-ups. Uh, the Bible, when it talks about us, again, I'm assuming you know Jesus. If you, if you haven't met Jesus, we're supposed to be a bold people. As a matter of fact, throughout the book of Acts, they're consistently praying for boldness because it's hard. It's hard to tell the truth. This particular culture that you and I live in, it's some crazy days. We've lost our minds as a nation, right? Like the sexual revolution that's going on in our nation, we have lost our mind. How's the truth going to stand? Who's going to be bold and yet do it with the right tone? Who's going to set some kind of standard that comes out of a life that the Holy Spirit is working inside that communicates in love and yet doesn't move? We talked about it for weeks here. This, this is the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, and our stuff is stealing our souls. Who's going to speak up about that? Who's going to say something about our stuff stealing our souls? Not in like this condemning fashion. All of us got a bunch of stuff. We fit here. Somebody's got to rescue somebody else. Maybe uh, as we watch Paul do that with his friends that he loves as he shepherds them in this passage, you and I will be encouraged to shepherd in our, in our little radiuses. Verse 17, those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention to only them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but... Let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Very interesting. He uses this phrase, false teachers. Um, I used the word pastor a little bit ago. I don't use that very often, but there can be false pastors. Really awkward for a pastor to talk about. There can be false shepherds. They want control. Wake Forest, they've, they've got their mascot. Anybody know what it is? The Demon Deacons. What in the world? That was a Baptist college back in the day, and they call their mascot the Demon Deacons. Like, we earned that title. The deacons in the local church so often fought for control so hard that they were destructive, and so they called them the Demon Deacons. It can be true there. It can be true in, at, at anything. Your job, my job, um, our nation where folks will manipulate at all costs 
to maintain control. So he says that you got some false teachers. One of the really clear signs of a false teacher is, is that they're try, you always try to shut off all the other people talking. You want, you want the mic and you don't want anybody else to speak because you're insecure. So you're afraid that somebody else who agrees with you that might have a little more charisma or might be smarter than you, that they're going to steal the show and people are going to leave you. Good shepherds, they're confident. Like they're confident that the message is true and that the Holy Spirit is going to communicate it. And so they'll defend it like Paul's defending it here. But there's not this, there's not all this desperation to close everybody's ears so they only listen to you. Um. So often in the church of the United States, our M.O. has been to manipulate. And so if you've been wounded by that, let me just say I'm sorry. That is how men and women throughout history have operated. We've manipulated. We've tried to stay in control, and it's, it's jacked up in every way. We usually start with trying to establish some form of moral superiority. And so generally, for those that want the false teachers, they start preaching the details before they preach the, the central truths. So instead of talking about love God and love your neighbor and, and the deep things about God and his grace and what he gives to us, they'll start talking about what translation of the Bible you use. That's where they start. They might ask what political party you're connected to. That's where they start. Now, those are conversations we can have. Right? That seems like a really weird spot to start when we're grateful for God giving his son on the cross for us. Seems like we'd start there. And we work our way out and have some conversations about the details and not even divide over a lot of the details. Instead, stay together on the central stuff. We need to be warned as we read this passage, lest we get caught up. By the false teachers. He says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. That, that strikes me really funny. I would never use an illustration of going through labor pains, quite honestly, as a man. I'm, I'm sure the ladies in Galatia are like, I was with you until you thought you understood what I went through, right? <laughs> hey, no epidurals back in the day, right? Like, like, no Tylenol. They had nothing, right? Like, they actually they did the whole thing. And I've witnessed this six times. One time I said, it kind of goes easy for you, baby. Like, you got easy pregnancy. It's like the wrong thing to say. Like, evidently, I can relate. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's trying to demonstrate his affection for them, so he's saying that he's, he's, they're his dear children, and he's like, I, I went through all this pain to see you developed, to be born again, as John would say. He says, I, I did all that so that you would continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. He was expecting them to be born and then to grow up and mature and be strong. And he thought that that would happen through a life of walking with God. And now they're going back to the law. They're, they're beginning to look at all the details and trying to live up to the details. And they're losing the freedom. It's making him sick as a father, as a parent. Man, if you had one of your kids come off the tracks... Some of you in my age category, it's painful. We spent some nights in here praying together about it. Paul feels that. He loves these folks. He's, he's burdened for them, so he's pleading with them. He wants them to stay on the tracks. He knows what real life is, and he wants them to have it. 
He wants us to have it. I want us to have it. Real freedom. He says, I wish I were with you right now so I can change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. So I'm writing this letter. It's pretty cool. I like it. It, it kind of argues for face-to-face. Those of us that can drive 70 miles an hour somewhere, we can generally, if we got to have a hard conversation, we can get in the car and go see somebody. See him face-to-face. And yet, no matter what your words are or what you can write on a page, that decision comes back to them, and they're going to have to decide whether to repent if they're caught in sin, whether to redirect if they've just been deceived for a minute. He's a great shepherd. This guy, Paul, he's a loving, good pastor to the folks in Galatia. Man, I'm, I'm, I work at it here. I'm, I try to be a good, loving pastor. Well, how are you in your radius? You're not off the hook. We're not talking about me today. We're talking about us. We're a team of shepherds. If you've believed, you're responsible for your radius. Last week, we rated ourselves from zero to 10. How's your walk with the Lord? And I put my number out there. So what kind of shepherd are you? Like, what, what would your radius, the people in your radius, starting in your home and then working your way out to the neighborhood or the cubicles or, or the people on the hall at the school, like, how, what would, how would they rate you zero to 10 as somebody who really cares for them in your radius? I'll give you three things to rate, zero to 10, and you can average them. This is South Carolina math, right? Like, you add them up, divide by three. I'm going to give you three things, zero to 10. Number one, um, can you honestly say to the people in your radius, be like me, zero to ten? Like, be like me in my freedom, in my relationship with God. Do they look at your house and your neighborhood and go, those folks, I know they argue in the yard every once in a while, but they're healthy. Zero to ten. What, what do they think in your radius? Zero to ten. Become like them. How many times do you do something for folks in your radius that's outside of your comfort zone? You go all the way to the crab shack, right, and eat some shrimp, even though you've been on the Daniel diet your whole life. Like you, you do something outside of there it's to get into their world without crossing some line. And then finally, and you could probably just ask, when was the last time you did this, zero to ten? Do I tell the truth? For some of us, that's probably going and buying a card and writing it to somebody in your family today. You just hadn't told them anything good for a while. You just need to tell your wife about her, your husband about him, your child about them, something about your mom and dad. And just say something really good and encouraging the truth. And for others, there's somebody, as I've been talking, that you love that's in your radius. And you're going, I, I need to tell her. She's about to blow her life up, and I, I got to get over my insecurity to tell her because I love her, and I'm, I'm going to deal with whatever happens because I love her that much. Zero to ten, you got three of them. How'd you score? And this is what we did last week. This isn't like a pass or fail. Right? Like this is just to examine and ask the Lord for help. So as the pastor of this church, on Saturday nights, most Saturday nights, not every, every time I preach, I walk around the room and pray. I walk circles. So if there's ever a little trail in here, I did it, right? Like I walk circles around all the chairs. And those of y'all that I know by name, I pray for you by name as I think about you. So I work the room. And 
Some of y'all sit in the same seat every time, so it's really easy. I'll be like, oh, yeah, they sit right there. Some of y'all move around. Y'all a little more complicated. But I'll pray, pray for you by name. That's part of, you know, that's, when I think pastor, shepherd, I think, man, I'm responsible. I got to pray for folks in the room. So I pray for you, and I pray with authority because of this and because of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And then I ask him for help loving. So I often love myself. I, I need help loving. This, this is what I'm saying to you. You got the same opportunity. Like, what's your little circle you can walk? Cheryl walks the neighborhood. She knows all the neighbors by name. She knows their kids. She knows what they're doing. So she prays for them by name. That's her radius. What's your radius? Who do you need to pray? Here's the good news. I'm an okay shepherd. Some of y'all are okay shepherds. But John chapter 10, Jesus says about himself, I am the capital G good shepherd. And what's he say about himself? He says the good shepherd gives up his life for the sheep. Beautiful statement. The one we follow gave up his life because he's in love with us. He put us in a position to never question whether we can relate to his father. Last week we talked about it. We can call his father daddy because of his work, because as a good shepherd, he gave up his life for the sheep. Let me give you some great news you can worship to here in just a minute. He says that he intercedes for you. So it's one thing to have me walking around the room or one thing to have you in the neighborhood interceding for the people in your radius, but we have Jesus interceding for us, speaking our name to the Father, trusting us with the Holy Spirit so that we're deeply connected to him. What a joy. We sit in a room. You talk about grateful. We have that kind of a pastor, that kind of a shepherd who will never leave us. Let me pray over us. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for this great book of Galatians and what it speaks. I'm thankful for the freedom that it has brought in my life so that though I uh, still get consumed with details at times, you rescued me from all the time wondering how I'm failing and put me in a position where I can do this. I can speak to you like I talk. I don't have to worry about getting my words just right. I can rest when I sing right now that you actually want to hear my worship even though I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for that freedom that you gave me on the cross. We celebrate it today. We celebrate it every Sunday, Lord. You know we put out this bread and juice and we remind one another and we remember before you what your work that was done on the cross is done for us. I know folks in this room need to move on this message. So even as we worship and as we remember you being the good shepherd, Lord, we, we want to shepherd our radius well. So somebody needs to have a hard conversation, give them courage. Somebody that needs to have a really fun conversation where they say nice things to somebody, again, give them courage, get, get them over the idea that that's a little weird. I don't know where everybody rated themselves. You do, Lord. Help us move this week. We'd like to be more like you. Listen to us as we worship Jesus. Amen.